Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with Bev Jackson, a lifelong gay rights campaigner, a founding member of the Gay Liberation Front, and one of the co-founders and director of the LGB Alliance. Bev, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Oh, really nice to be here, Gary. So Bev, I don't imagine your, your organization is well known to people in Ireland. So rather than me giving a sort of introduction and trying to put everything together, I'm just curious if you could tell us in your own words what the LGB Alliance is and how it got started. Well, um, I started to become aware, um, having thought that gay and lesbian rights had been won decades ago and everything was fine and I was involved with all sorts of other things in my life, bringing up my family and uh, um, other kinds of activism. I became aware in um, around 2015, 2016, that something had gone wrong with the LGBT rights movement. And I was quite shocked that nobody around me seemed to realize that something had gone terribly wrong. I started to pay attention. And what had gone wrong was that um, LGB had become LGBT. So the trans rights movement had been um, sort of um, tagged on to the LGB rights movement. But people didn't seem to be aware that that actually created a problem and the problems became worse and worse. And the problem really um, came home to me in, in a various different ways. One was I noticed that a lot of kids who were rather like I was, um, kids, tomboys, um, and um, were calling themselves boys. Now, I mean, I called myself a boy also when I was a teenager, I called myself William, but I wasn't really a boy and that passed. And now, you know, uh, um, I'm very happy that I didn't uh, try to turn into a boy because I wouldn't have had any kids. Um, and um, so, but this was, I noticed that this was being pushed as this wonderful progressive new idea. This was a very progressive, these, these poor kids who had been supposedly born in the wrong body. Born in the wrong body, what, what could that possibly mean? You could, how can you be born in the wrong body? Your body is you, just you can't be born in the wrong body any more than you could be born in the wrong century or in the wrong country. You may be unhappy with your body or the century or the country, but you can't be born in the wrong body. I, I started trying to understand what people could possibly mean by this. So they meant apparently a, a girl who was born in the body of a boy. But what would that mean? That there's some sort of essence of girl that can live inside a boy's body? Essence of girl, what would that be? Did it have to do with pink and princesses and dolls and, and, and soft nature? All kinds of stereotypes, which I had fought against all my life. I thought something has gone seriously wrong here. And I started to read more, to watch more, and to become really worried. Um, that's the beginning of my awareness was, was, was what was happening with children. Um, and then there were various other concerns that actual lesbians seem to be no longer welcome in the LGBT movement. Well, that was weird. How's that possible? What was happening was that the LGBT movement, Stonewall and all the other many, many um, organizations representing LGBT, LGBTQIA+, um, this um, sort of alphabet soup, they had all changed from sex to gender. So instead of it being your biological sex that determines whether you're gay or straight, it was your gender. 
Now, that to me is complete nonsense because it means, and it did mean, in fact, that a bearded man with a penis could declare himself to be a woman um, and declare himself to be a lesbian and to go on to lesbian dating sites and so on. And this actually happens. It happens, unfortunately, very frequently. If you go on to a lesbian dating site these days, you'll find maybe half, 40%, 50% of those who are on the site are actually have male bodies and they present themselves as, as lesbians. And I mean, this wouldn't matter to me, but can you imagine the confusion of a young girl looking for her first girlfriend and finding all these people with penises and trying to sort of gently say they're not interested? That is saying you're not interested is called transphobia. Anyway, so the, a range of things started to make me feel very worried. And um, in 2019, I met Kate Harris, who um, also had a background in the gay rights movement. My background was in the Gay Liberation Front. Hers was in Stonewall. Um, I live in Amsterdam. She lives in England. We met and we discovered we had similar um, concerns. And we eventually decided to set up a new organization to kind of revive what had been lost, the LGB rights movement that had been lost with the madness of gender identity. So that, in short, is how we, how we got started. So you were talking there about, about your previous activism and how you would, you would sort of you know, put down the, the weapons and gone back from the front before feeling you had to rejoin the fight. How did you originally get involved in activism yourself? Well, I went to LSE, the London School of Economics, when I was uh, 18, and I saw a poster saying Gay Liberation Front. And it looked to me, I mean, it was as if I had just learned a few words of Arabic and I was trying to decipher gay. I knew gay meant homosexual. Liberation meant freedom. And a front sounded some sort of military thing. I didn't know what it was. But I went to the first meeting. There were 20 people at this first meeting of the Gay Liberation Front. in, um, And this is in 1970. And um, I was the only woman. There were 19 men and me. And because I was the only woman, I was immediately voted onto the steering committee. So there was a five-person <laughs> steering committee because they felt they should have a woman. And I was actually, to be quite honest, very ill-equipped to be on this um, steering committee. My, my knowledge of, of political theory, which was very important in the Gay Liberation Front, was rather poor. Um, but anyway, I was um, on the steering committee. And, and when we had our first march, in November 1970, I was the spokesperson um, for the Gay Liberation Front, and you can see my comment in the Times in November 1970, in which I said rather this sort of pompous kind of timidity of a teenager, um, it's important to know that we are not ashamed to be homosexual. That went into the Times. Anyway, so that was my um, initiation into gay and lesbian rights, and um, and basically, I, um, when I, 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 not so long after that, I moved to Amsterdam and um, I assumed I saw what was being gained, that people were coming out of the closet, which I thought was wonderful. Uh, um, society was becoming more accepting. There was less prejudice. And I, I thought that gradually that people had come to accept that some people were attracted to other people of the same sex, at least in our countries. Of course, there are many countries in which people who are attracted to other people of the same sex are in terrible trouble and can, can be uh, um, sent to prison or, or murdered. Um, so we are 
fortunate in um, Western Europe to live in relatively tolerant societies. But I thought that everything had been um, gained and um, same-sex marriage was achieved. In my country, where I live in the Netherlands, in, in the year 2000, first country in the world, um, and then much later in the UK in 2014, um, gay marriage um, became a fact. Um, and um, I thought everything had been gained. And then suddenly I, I realised that actually everything was unravelling again. And I, a, a sense of, I had a sense of horror of how could, this, how could this be happening? How could these rights that I had taken for granted, I hadn't been watching, I had taken my eye off what had happened and I was really, really horrified and I felt I must, I must take action. And I'm fortunately able to because of my age, I'm not, and because I, I earn my living um, independently. And um, so does Kate Harris, who runs the, Gay Libera, the um, LGB Alliance with me, we, we set it up together. Uh, is likewise financially uh, uh, not tied to an employer. And because of this, um, we, we are less vulnerable to attack. Anybody who has any kind of um, employer or who has a family that can be attacked or, or uh, relatives who are embarrassed by this subject um, comes under attack. And I suppose the best example of that is JK Rowling. And you've seen, I'm sure, what happened to her. And she articulated all the principles that we believe in. And she has been vilified in the press beyond belief for saying perfectly ordinary things like it matters if you're born male or female. I did see, I, I noticed some of the abuse she was getting on social media. And she was, uh, her new book, the, the Ichabod, she'd been asking children to draw uh, pictures of the characters. Yes. And she was reposting these and you would go into the replies to them and it would just be full of a very personalized and quite aggressive abuse. And you sort of looked at it and go, maybe this is not a great look, even if you're, regardless of what side you're on, to be under a children's photo screaming abuse at a woman. No, it's it's really quite horrifying, and I really have to point out that these um, these uh, trans um, rights activists or gender extremists um, do not represent most trans people who are just um, people who have gender dysphoria. They're trying to get on with their lives as best they can, um, and these these really awful awful aggressive people do not represent them, and they certainly don't represent transsexuals transsexuals, people who have gone through years of, of hormones and, and operations in order to live as the opposite sex, whatever that means. Uh, to them, it, it is significant. It helps to solve their distress. And those people who have been living among us for many years um, uh, with very few problems, many of them support us. They are quite horrified at what has happened here and the polarization. And these people these very aggressive and uh, people who shout obscene um, uh, um, slogans, um, especially at women, there's a lot of misogyny involved here. Um, the, in, the original the transsexuals are quite horrified to, um, to find people speaking out supposedly on their behalf. And they, uh, um, more and more of them are speaking out in support of our line, which is sex, not gender. Um, we believe that a lesbian is a person, uh, uh, an adult human female who's attracted to other adult human females. And that is so obvious to us 
that, you know, it's quite shocking that it needs to be said. But Stonewall thinks that what matters is your gender. And so Stonewall would say that if two people with penises both call themselves women, that they can have a lesbian relationship. Well, I'm sorry, but I think that's completely absurd. And it is also, it is so offensive. It's offensive to us. We have words for ourselves. Uh, people want to redefine the word woman. If you look up in the medical direction, uh, dictionary what, what man means, it, it's, very, it's very clear what man uh, uh, means. But what woman means, they need a whole half page for it because it might mean this and it might mean that. And um, there is an assault on what woman means. Um, and presently in legislation before the Scottish Parliament, that's something else. Um, the Scottish Parliament, uh, uh, the Scottish Government wants to introduce legislation, is introducing legislation to change, that will change the meaning of the word woman. We strongly oppose any definition of the word woman other than adult human female, which seems, it seems to us extraordinary that we should even have to say this. You were talking there about when you, when you originally started doing activism, for pretty much in all of my life, it's been the LGBT movement. And I was always very curious how the T got attached to that movement, because it just seems to be, it is a different thing. The LGB is about sexual orientation. The it's T very interesting that you say that, so. because, because in fact, Stonewall um, was LGB and not LGBT until 2015. So... Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm not sure how the, what the situation is in Ireland, but it certainly isn't the case in the UK that it has always been, or very, very long been, um, LGBT. And you can trace that very easily back. Um, Ruth Hunt was um, elected uh, or, um, or appointed CEO in 2014, and um, she made the decision then to incorporate trans rights into Stonewall's um, campaigning. And that is when LGB became LGBT. So it really isn't that long ago. It's only five years ago. And since then, Stonewall has campaigned almost exclusively for trans rights. And the thing is that Stonewall and, and these other organizations will not acknowledge that there's any problem there. They don't acknowledge that Trans rights are, for instance, um, that there's a conflict between trans rights and the rights of gay men and lesbians. And there's also a conflict between trans rights and women's rights. They refuse to acknowledge that and therefore they won't discuss it. We've tried, I mean, before Kate and I decided to, to found the uh, LGB Alliance, both of us separately had tried to talk to Stonewall saying, look, you've got this wrong, you, you can't go down this path, you're betraying the people you originally were supposed to serve. And Stonewall was a wonderful organisation. It was a fantastic organisation for decades. It fought against Section 28, which was a pernicious, terrible legislation that um, prohibited so-called promotion of homosexuality at schools, which simply meant telling children that gay people exist, lesbians exist and explaining that there's nothing wrong with it. That was called promotion. And Section 28 was a horrible piece of legislation. Stonewall fought against it very successfully and finally overturned it. And um, as far as gay marriage is concerned, Stonewall was initially not in favour, but eventually joined the battle and um, fought for same-sex marriage. And that too was achieved. And it, it's almost as if when those things were achieved, that Stonewall itself with, oh, 150 
160 uh, employees and nothing to do because um, what it had been set up to achieve had, I mean, of course, there was still, there still is discrimination um, uh, in, in wider society, but um, it's almost as if it had too little to do to keep everybody busy. And so um, it uh, took on um, trans rights. And so in fact, it's quite recent. And it's, it's funny that people say it's always been LGBT, but it hasn't. It's really been the last five years that, and you now see that, that the entire LGBTQ plus uh, movement has been taken over by gender, gender identity. And the idea is that everybody has a gender identity. So you have a gender identity, I have a gender identity, everybody has a gender identity. And people who are happy with their, the sex they were born as are called cis in their terms. And um, people who are unhappy about it are trans. Well, I mean, I don't accept that. And I don't, I, A, I don't have a gender identity. I don't know if you do. Um, I absolutely reject the idea because it's like accepting that there is some sort of inner essence of woman. No, I simply have the body of a woman. This is how I was born. I have my own personality and that's got male characteristics and female characteristics. I do not have a gender identity and I truly resent being told that I do. And uh, then there are non-binary people. So um, the slogans we're supposed to sign up to are trans women are women which I don't know exactly what that is supposed to mean, because if, if a trans woman were a woman, then that person wouldn't be a trans woman. I mean, the whole point about being trans is that you're born male and then you identify as female. So I, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. Uh, and non-binary identities are valid. Well, I don't know what that means either. A non-binary person who is someone who feels neither male nor female. Well, I think most of us feel like that. So most of us have got male, male qualities and female qualities. And so I find non-binary is also another insulting, like cis, it's an, another insulting word. Somebody's non-binary, it makes them special, as if the rest of us are all binary, all stuck in our little, little compartments. Well, no, actually, most of us are non-binary. So I don't accept these, these words that, that, that have been used. And I want to, to discuss one particular linguistic trick which is played which I find particularly disturbing and that is conversion therapy. And conversion therapy is, is horrible. It's, it's um, sometimes practiced by religious people and prayer and, 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 and uh, meetings to try and change someone's sexual orientation. So someone who is gay or lesbian uh, and they will go to some sort of uh, a meeting or, or have some sort of therapy to try and persuade them uh, um, somehow make them straight. Well or, or, and there have also been even worse kinds of conversion therapy using electric shocks and God knows what. Anyway, um, any kind of, of, of so-called therapy that tries to change someone's sexual orientation, I think is disgusting and I totally oppose it. And so do we all at um, LGB Alliance. But the trans activists have um, also say that if a kid, say a kid of 13, comes to the gender clinic and uh, this is kid is a boy and says I'm a girl, then um, 
to try and ask them, well, why is it that you feel that? You know, um, what, find out a little bit about their background. Are they autistic, which is quite often the case? Is there, is there perhaps any, any abuse? Are the parents homophobic, which is apparently very often the case we hear in a recent Newsnight expose. It turns out that a lot of these families are homophobic. Um, for the therapist to explore that, that is, is now supposedly conversion therapy. What they, the transactivists want is for, if the kid comes along and, and says, this boy comes along and says, I'm a girl, they want the therapist to say, fine, you're a girl. Absolutely. That's called affirmation, to just affirm that this boy is a girl because he says he's a girl. We totally oppose that. You can't, um, that's basically saying that the child should self-diagnose um, but you don't have self-diagnosis, not even with adults and certainly not with children. Um, of course, you need to find out why the child feels like that and whether it's got something to do with sexual orientation. For instance, it turns out there's a lot of girls who find themselves attracted to other girls these days think they must be boys instead of thinking, oh, I must be a lesbian, especially if the family and their surroundings are homophobic. But um, the... Um, trans extremists want any kind of exploration, psychotherapy to discover these sorts of factors to be banned and they call it conversion therapy. Well, we think quite the opposite. We think that, that um, feeding uh, um, drugs and puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to someone who might actually simply be gay or lesbian, that that is a sort of conversion therapy and we call it transing away the gay. How has the reaction been to the LGB Alliance since you guys formed last year? Well, uh, on the, since the very first day we formed, we have faced the most extraordinary opposition of every possible kind. So um, uh, 16 different uh, um, web domains were set up um, uh, under names similar to ours, redirecting traffic to Stonewall and other organisations. People have... Um, uh, printed the most extraordinary defam defamatory statements about us, calling us a hate group and saying we're transphobic. Uh, uh, anybody who actually goes to our timeline finds that this is complete nonsense. We never write anything hateful on the contrary. And in fact, if, anybody, if, if any of our supporters do, we ask them not to, because we don't believe that that is, is helpful. Um, we're not transphobic, we have trans supporters, but we're anti-self-ID. We don't believe a person can say, um, I'm a, a woman, if they're, they're male, and that this suddenly becomes the case. And we think that that is, is harmful to society and, and to the people themselves. Um, we've, we've been accused of, of taking funds from the religious right in America, um, even though our code of conduct expressly forbids it. Um, and, and says that we don't have any connection at all with any uh, organization that is against our principles and our, our aims are clearly set out uh, in our mission statement. And we don't have any ties with any organization that is against women's reproductive rights. Um, so, I mean, this is all very clear, but um, people continue to make these allegations and these allegations are simply repeated. Yes, oh, yes, LGB Alliance, that known hate group. And quite often it happens that when we actually meet people, that they're, they're a bit worried because they think, oh my God, these, these are these horrible, this is this horrible hate group. <laughs> what are they going to be? And they are just so completely astonished to discover that we are just ordinary, reasonable um, people trying to get a discussion going 
because the um, the lies and uh, defamation that has been spread against us has been so extreme, even by a, um, a member of parliament, a Scottish member of parliament, um, who um, uh, went on, on Twitter and called us um, a sinister, transphobic organisation. And I mean, we were a bit surprised that a, an MP would be doing that. At, I think it was one o'clock in the morning. Don't know if that had anything to do with it. But anyway, he um, we asked him to retract it, and he didn't retract it. He doubled down, and so we we actually asked our supporters to donate to us because we we have um, we had at that point we had a just giving um, fundraising page. We asked our supporters to donate in his name because we were so cross that he was. Um, making these um, defamatory statements about us. He didn't know anything about us. He had just presumably heard this from somewhere. This is what happens. People pass on these, these um, unfortunate rumours. Um, and so he, um, he, wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't back down. So we asked our supporters to donate in his name. And a lot of people did. In fact, people, people our supporters were very angry. And they donated almost 6,000 pounds. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of people donated. <laughs> so there's small sums of money. Most of, our money. most of our donations come from these small donations. And they donated in his name. And one or two of them were a bit rude. And he was furious. And he um, seems to have asked one of his associates, one of his assistants, to contact Just Giving, and our um, funding was cut off. Just Giving closed our page down, and uh, so we tried a GoFundMe page, and that was closed down as well. And this, um, yeah, this this is extraordinary behaviour. Um, but we have faced opposition from the beginning because because a narrative is put out there on the. Um, in certain circles, in most left-wing circles, I, I have to say, and it's, it's really very unfortunate, that if you are a true progressive, you must be pro-trans rights. Um, and anybody who's not pro-trans rights is transphobic and therefore um, a hate, hateful person. And um, we get called neo-Nazis and I don't know what all. But um, there is little awareness of... of what trans rights involve and the fact that there is actually a conflict between some trans rights. I mean, we support trans rights. I'm, I'm totally, I mean, if somebody were being discriminated against or harassed um, in, in, in the street or in public transport because they were trans, I would rush to their defence because I cannot stand it if anybody um, is treated badly because they belong to any kind of a minority. And I don't believe anybody should be denied uh, um, housing or, or or health services, or um, or a job, unless it's a sex-specific job. That uh, um, there, there are a few occupations, I think, which are should be and must must remain um, sex-specific. But apart from that, um, trans people should not be fired um, for being trans. And I'm totally against Trump's ban on, for instance, trans people in the military. And I think that the Supreme Court has now. Um, is going to make that uh, going to make that um, ban uh, make them roll back that ban actually, but anyway. Um, so we're not we're not transphobic. We're not a hate group. But the um, the propaganda against us has been extraordinary, and um, it's very very difficult for us to get our position in the press. We're just not represented, and so uh, we we have a number. Perhaps I could tell you a number of our aims that that what we want. 
So we've got a number of aims. One is to block legislation that would introduce self-ID. Now, I know you have self-ID in Ireland. Um, so perhaps, perhaps you could tell me, actually, about how you experience. But before I carry on about self-ID, I'd like to hear, hear from you how you experience self-ID in Ireland. I'm not actually terribly sure of the specifics of it. My understanding is that it is pretty much just a, a signed declaration. Uh, at this point, that we have one of the the broadest self ID laws in existence, but it's not an area of speciality for me. I'm afraid. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that most um, Irish people have uh, 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 um, have not. I've, I've been given to understand that when when self ID was introduced in Ireland, it was done rather quietly, and it was kind of combined with a much more popular move to introduce same sex marriage and that people were barely aware of all the ramifications. And that even now, not many people in Ireland are particularly, um, it, it isn't exactly exercising minds the way it is in the UK. Do you think that's fair to say? I don't know, I think that's fair to say. I think where the, when you talk to people about this issue in Ireland, most people have no idea of what the laws are regarding exactly. it or when they came in. I mean, even I who have an interest in this, yeah. I'm familiar with a lot of those because it's it's not, there's no discussion on this issue in Ireland. And you're right, it did come in very, very quietly and very, very quickly. Yeah, uh, with very, very little consultation is my understanding as well. And certainly no, no wide ranging public consultation, which would um, make the public aware of all the ramifications. And the ramifications are extreme because... Um, I mean, this became apparent, for instance, in the recent election campaign, when Lisa Nandy was asked, um, she, she had repeated the, the, the mantra that trans women are women, and she was asked about a particular um, child rapist um, who had, um, yeah, that if uh, this child rapist had identified as a woman prior to being convicted of raping a child, um, would it be then appropriate to transfer this person to a woman's prison? And um, yes, she said, it. yes, it would, that that's what should happen. And I, the public was really quite shocked um, at this. this. This was something that really, I think, struck home the idea that, a, that someone who's been convicted of a, of a sex crime, in particular of, of, of raping a child, then decides that they are, or then identifies as female, should, can, under self-ID, would therefore belong in, in a woman's prison. So all sorts of... Um, um, ramifications of what, what self-ID actually means started to become apparent and unfortunately this discussion often ends up about toilets I mean I think toilets is just one very small um, area here I mean I'm much more interested for instance in sport I mean the idea that male-bodied people who've gone through male puberty should be playing in women's sports I mean Anybody, I don't know if you know anything about sport, but anyone who knows anything about sport knows how ridiculous that is. It is utterly absurd. Um, and uh, yes, there have been um, there have been a number of record-breaking participants in women's sports recently that have been yes. um, somewhat questionable. I, I don't know if you saw it actually. Fallon Fox, the yeah, first openly it, MMA uh, transgender yeah. MMA fighter, came out there the other day and uh, wrote a message about how she enjoyed fracturing the skull of the opponent she fought and she liked yeah, kicking exactly. turf sasses and yeah it's uh, not tasteful 
No, it was it was quite shocking, um, and and sort of is is a very sad illustration of where we are now. That such a person can um, compete with females in in sports when the whole I mean this this could really ruin women's sport, and I, I really hope that um, the um, International Olympic Committee will come to its senses. Um, and change the rules so that other sports bodies feel free to change their rules because they do look to the IOC, I think. But anyway, I mean, I am an L- we're an LGB organisation, so we're not particularly involved in, in areas like that. That is more for the various women's organisations. I mean, what is important for us um, at uh, LGB Alliance is to show the world that it is not the case that all um, gays and lesbians and bisexual people sign up to this gender stuff. We do not, and we're the only only organisation in the world, the only LGB organisation in the world, at least of any size, that is standing up against this and saying no, no to gender. We, um, for us, gender is 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 uh, part of a system of oppression that tries to push people into different roles, and it's certainly not something to be embraced. But I was telling you what our goals were. So we we want to block self-ID. We want to um, reverse the trend in which organisations like Stonewall, and there are many, many, many dozens of them. I don't know whether there are in Ireland, but in the UK, um, organisations that teach children about gender identity and, and, um, for instance, advise uh, books for the library, like there's a book called Introducing Teddy, and Teddy is is called Thomas, but Teddy um, confesses that he he would really like to be called Tilly. I mean, why on earth anybody thinks that it is necessary or appropriate to confuse kids in this way? I have no idea. But basically, kids are being given the idea that it is possible to be born in the wrong body. And um, this can lead to social transition, which is just changing your name and getting people to call you he or she, or z, or some other funny thing. Um, And um, without the parents' knowledge. And then um, it can lead to puberty blockers um, and eventually to cross-sex hormones. Um, I just want to say a word about puberty blockers because this is this is really important. Um, puberty blockers are prescribed to kids who have gender dysphoria, and it's always been said by mermaids uh, 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 and other organisations that puberty blockers are um, perfectly reversible and they just give you a bit of time, you know, before puberty starts uh, or gets underway in order to make up your mind. The NHS recently changed its guidelines. And no, they're not fully reversible. And B, they don't um, gain uh, uh, um, time much at all. Um, it, it is known that almost 100% of kids who take puberty blockers go on to cross-sex hormones. So in other words, any kid who takes um, puberty blockers when they're 10 or 12 years old is basically starting off down a path which will lead to lifelong medicalization and possibly to surgery and irreversible cross-sex hormones. And we're finding now that um, a lot of young women in their mid-twenties quite often, and by, they, they've taken testosterone, they have deep voices, they have beard growth, and in some cases they've had their breasts removed, and they sort of come to their senses and realise, hang on, what, what have I done? I, I'm actually a woman, I'm actually a lesbian, and I didn't realise it, and this was never explored properly. 
um, at the gender clinic. And so more and more of these detransitioners are popping up and they have nowhere to go. Anyway, so we, one of our aims is to reverse the teaching of gender identity at schools. And any, uh, another important aim that we want is we want to get represented. Um, all the um, government bodies, all the bodies that advise the government on LGBT issues are LGBTQ uh, bodies that are fully signed up to gender identity. But lots and lots of gay and lesbian and bisexual people do not believe in gender identity. We need to be represented on every single body that makes decisions about um, these issues. And the fourth thing that we really want is to open up discussion. At the moment, if you, uh, you've no idea how many messages we get from people in all walks of life. We know about lots of Labour members of Parliament, for instance, who totally agree with us. Not one of them dares to say so because they would be deselected. We hear from doctors who dare not say so, social workers, psychotherapists, uh, um, teachers, people, uh, people in all walks of life who agree with what we are saying here and do not dare to say so because Stonewall and the other organisations representing this uh, peculiar dogma have got such a stranglehold on, um, on public and, and private bodies as well, uh, corporations, uh, um, um, uh, companies also try very hard to to make sure that um, they get onto Stonewall's uh, top 100 list and, uh, and that they do everything right to um, to win approval from Stonewall. So it's been incredibly difficult for us to get our message out because most people are afraid to speak out. Um, gradually, very gradually that's changing. I mean, J.K. Rowling has been an absolute star in that respect because someone who is so widely respected and, you know, with, with such a fantastic track record in so many areas, speaking out clearly um, that some people are now starting to listen. But we want to get a proper discussion going about sex and gender where people can sit down calmly and talk about how can we ensure that the, we do want uh, trans people to be properly protected, but where, where that conflicts, whether it undermines the rights of LGBT people um, and, um, and of women, then we need to find solutions. We need to talk calmly. We need to accept that there is a problem and we need to discuss that problem instead of constantly acting as if uh, it doesn't exist because that is, that is not going to lead anywhere. We need to have that discussion. The point is that um, as soon as you start discussing these subjects, you're, you're very soon ac accused of transphobia. But what is transphobia? It's uh, um, a phobia is supposedly a morbid fear or hatred of something. But um, Stonewall and those organizations, other organizations, define transphobia not just as, as hatred or, or, or fear, but as not accepting that someone who says they are male that that's what their gender identity is, or female, that that's what they are. If you don't accept that, that's transphobia. So then they make, it's a circular thing. You can't, you can't discuss the subject because it's, it, you're forbidden to discuss the subject, so you can't get anywhere. How do you think that the idea became so all-consuming on an NGO and administrative level? I, I think you are right. Even in Ireland, when you look at the NGOs that discuss... Um, LGB affairs, they're all very much focused on this idea at the minute. And so the official advice seems to be very focused on it because in Ireland, I don't think there is any group that, that points out that there could be any issue there. 
I'm just, yeah. how do you think that became so dominant so quickly? Um, there are various possible solutions and probably um, the answer is a, is a mix of different things. First of all, there are some very, very um, um, uh, energetic activists who are working in this area and uh, determined also at inter international level to push through the change from sex to gender. And I'm sure you know that most um, policymakers are perhaps a bit lazy. I mean, they, they, they want to defer to experts. So, for instance, if you're deciding about a nuclear plant and you are uh, um, the, the government representative, in, you, you will go to people who have un, uh, a good technical understanding of, of, uh, uh, of nuclear energy. You won't perhaps study all the facts about nuclear energy yourself before making your decision. You'll go to the people you think are the experts. Well, who are the experts when it comes to sex and gender? It is believed that these bodies, these very active lobbyists, that they are the experts. And so people consult them and people take on board um, their recommendations without properly thinking through all the ramifications. For instance, there's something called the Jokicata Principles. You've probably never heard of them. I haven't. And no, I hadn't heard of them about uh, um, seven months ago. And there's something even more obscure called the Jokicata Principles Plus Ten. The first one was yeah, was was agreed in 2006, and this, this Jokicata Principles Plus Ten was agreed in 2017. Um, and um, these principles, which are non-binding, are quoted all over the place. I, I'm pretty sure they're also quoted in Ireland as best practice. Everybody says they're best practice. They say they're best practice because it's repeated by other people who say they're best practice. It's kind of Chinese whisper sort of thing. Yes, yes, yes. Jokicata principles, best practice. Nobody, hardly anybody ever reads these things. And if you read the Jokicata principles, you'll find that Article 31 says that we should no longer register whether, whether a baby is male or female when it's born. What? This is just completely bananas. I mean, who on earth would sign up to that? But that is what people are signing up to every time they talk about this best practice. So people don't know, half the time they don't know what they're talking about. So that is one reason why. I think it's the, it's the influence of activists and the laziness of policymakers who are not actually realising that they're being manipulated there. Then there's also the influence of money. There are some extremely wealthy financiers of um, transgender interests um, and it's not easy to see quite how influential that is but I'm sure that that does have have some impact um, and um, the third thing I would say is um, that it has been very cleverly presented as if um, for all people who want to be on the right side you want to be on the right side you always stand up for the most vulnerable people in the society and they always will stand, I mean, I'm the sort of person who always stands up for the most vulnerable people in, in society. I'm totally, that's me. But uh, the idea has been presented that trans people are the most vulnerable in society. Well, it simply isn't true. I mean, it isn't even remotely true. Uh, I, I think that it is the case, for instance, if I'm right, I, I'm not absolutely sure I'm right, that one trans person was murdered in the UK last year. Now that is shocking. It's shocking that anybody should be murdered um, at all. But in the UK, on, in normal times, um, over two women a week are murdered by their partners or former partners. And it's now under lockdown gone up to almost five. Um, so the, the, the discrepancy is rather huge. To, to say that trans people are the most vulnerable people in society, also false suicide statistics are constantly paraded about 
um, in violation of all the rules of the Samaritans. Um, and these, these statistics can be easily disproven. So all sorts of figures are trotted out to make it appear as if trans people are the most vulnerable in society. So all sort of um, people who have always said, I stand up for the most vulnerable people in society, now say, well, then you must stand up for trans people because they're the most vulnerable people in society. But there is no evidence at all. On the contrary, there's plenty of evidence that trans people are not at all the most vulnerable people in society. I mean, some of them are very vulnerable, certainly the, the young people I was talking about who are confused and who need uh, um, proper, I think, proper care and, and attention and are not getting it, in my view. Those are very vulnerable but young people. So many trans people are certainly vulnerable, but to say that trans people, which, and if you look, if you look at Stonewall's definition of what it means to be trans, it includes cross-dressers, uh, people who call themselves neutral, it includes people who were, who were male on Tuesday and female on Thursday, I'm sorry, but there are lots of groups in, in this so-called trans umbrella who are not particularly vulnerable, so to say that trans people are the most vulnerable people in society is just clearly nonsense even though some of them are vulnerable obviously um so i think that has been a powerful message that that if you don't stand up for trans rights and that means all trans rights including especially saying that trans women are women then you are on um the wrong side and as you know you know the, the debate is very polarized you must you're either on this side or that side and to to agree that there must be any problem that that some trans rights don't make any sense or that they uh, um, are actually interfering with other rights. Now, you're not allowed to say that because then you will be ostracized by your group and you're no longer you're no longer you no longer belong um, on that side. And I said so all these are these are all various different factors, I think, that go together. And the media, I'm afraid, also has a role to play because um, uh, we have incredible trouble getting our message out in um, papers such as The Guardian or, or the, the Observer. Um, and, I mean, I was a lifelong reader of The Guardian. And, um, I mean, I wouldn't have read any other paper until six months ago. And I now have a subscription to The Times. It was a very odd thing. It was a strange feeling for me to, to realise that The Guardian will no longer represented my views in this very important area in which I feel that the rights of LGB people to be um, attracted to other people of the same sex, not gender, that these are actually under threat. And I went, in, in 2018, a group of lesbians walked to the front of the Pride demonstration and they held up a banner, uh, get the L out. It was a rather confusing banner. What they meant was get the L out of LGBT because they felt that this LGBT um, movement was no longer representing them. Because lesbians, women who actually, um, who love other women, are no longer accepted in the LGBT community. And again, um, last year, um, a group in Lancaster um, demonstrated, a group of lesbians, and the trans activists surrounded them and shouted uh, uh, abuse at them and, and hid them with their pink and blue flags. And one of those trans activists told, um, mentioned this on Twitter, ha, I, I saw those, uh, th those turfs, because that's what they called the lesbians, I saw those turfs and we managed to, uh, um, to silence them. And they got approval from Jan Gooding, 
um, of, of, um, of Stonewall, the head of Stonewall. And she said, yes, just the right instinct. And that is what we're up against. We're up against a, a Stonewall, an LGBT movement that no longer accepts lesbians. And it's, it's the world, the world has been turned upside down. The movement that was once set up to protect the rights of people who are, uh, whose orientation is, is towards other of the same sex now no longer protects them and doesn't even accept them. And that is what we're fighting against. And we're trying to get our message out that we are moderate people. We wish to talk to people of, of all opinions to, write, to, 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 to find good solutions, solutions that will work for everybody. It's something I, I have noticed. I've talked to many people from many different fields about this issue. And those who are sceptical of gender ideology, not one of them has ever said to me that they ever wish harm on a transgender person. Most have been on the opinion that they feel deeply for transgender people, but they have concerns about the ideology and things like um, uh, automatic affirmation when children present. But I've never heard anyone say they want to, to cause them any harm. But when you look at some of the things that are being said by transgender activists and your story there about the, the person on Twitter uh, saying that they, they had managed to, to, to hurt the turfs, there does seem to be a valorization of violence from not all of them, but from certain transgender activists that should be being called out and, and denounced, I would have thought, from people in that space. But it seems to be if not approved of, at least left alone? Well, I, no, I mean, I totally agree with you. Uh, and the narrative is, of course, uh, I mean, I, what I, I would call that misogyny. Basically, it's, it, this is the most misogyn... Uh, the, the greatest period of misogyny I've ever seen in my lifetime. I've never known such vicious hatred of women being expressed and being allowed, as you say, that there's very little pushback against it. Um, it's and it comes from so-called um, so-called left. Uh, it's almost as if lots of men have been dying to express their hatred of women and are now absolutely delighted that they're finally able <laughs> to say all these hateful things about women because it's allowed because they're supposedly standing up for trans people. Um, I, I don't know if that's the case, but that's certainly sometimes how it seems that it's. The, the, I've never known such such misogyny in my lifetime, and I'm just really horrified to encounter it. And the hatred of lesbians in particular, because, of course, women who love other women get sort of a double dose of misogyny. <laughs> so they're the, 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 the lowest of the low. And that's why, um, uh, you know, the LGB Alliance is led by two um, uh, lesbians. And um, because lesbians are particularly under threat, but we do also absolutely stand up for the rights of, of um, gay men, a young, rather say, feminine uh, um, kinds of, of, of boys who are being persuaded that they're really girls um, that, uh, and that they or, or uh, gay men who are being persuaded that they ought to be willing to have sexual partners who are uh, people who call themselves trans men, that's women who are now calling themselves uh, men. This, this kind of, of, of peculiar redefinition of terms and, and discrimination is, is really horrifying to see. But you're quite right about the level of abuse. And, um, and as you say, uh, on, on our, I don't like to say side, because I, I would like to think that there aren't sides. 
um, uh, but it, it's true that people who are critical of, of gender ideology, we do not go around um, um, saying vile things to trans activists. Um, we want to have um, a decent discussion with people and to find um, good solutions. That's what we want. The go-to attack on a lot of this seems to be, if you, if you say anything, not even critical, but perhaps questioning, is um, you were causing the death of transgender people. That by, yeah. by putting anything forward, you, were, uh, you could cause the suicide of someone. Um, yeah. and I just wonder if that's something that your organization has has faced. Oh, yes, this is I mean, this is one of the accusations that is made all the time. And it is, of course, um, an irresponsible and completely false thing to say um, the, the violence that is against um, transgender people, just uh, like the violence against women is overwhelmingly by men and to blame largely women, because it's mostly women in this movement, uh, there's LGBT Alliance and a lot of women's organisations, to blame women for the violence that is committed by men. It's a very old trope to say, well, it's always, it's always women's fault if men commit violence. Well, no, it's not. It isn't our fault that we're pointing out that there is a certain uh, conflict, conflict of rights here and that we're standing up for the rights of, of, of LGB people and of women and we're trying to point out that we need to have a discussion about it to blame us for the violence um, committed by men against trans people or against uh, women is, is completely false and it's just an old argument that is always used. It's a misogynist ar argument basically. It's, it's, it's the argument, it's always the, the women who, who've done it. <laughs> Just before we, we, we kind of finish up, I think, you were talking at the start about when you were growing up and that you were more of a, a tomboyish girl. I'm just curious about yes. your opinion on something. One of the things I, I think about the, about the gender ideology is I've seen people pushing for it who say that it will undermine gender stereotypes and it will increase people's freedoms to be who they want to be. When I look at it, in many ways, it seems to be strengthening gender stereotypes because before you could be a tomboyish girl or you could be an effeminate man. Whereas now in this ideology, if, if you do things like that, if you, if you are that type of boy or girl, you are presenting as the other sex. You are, you, you are engaging in, in the performance of the other sex. And in that way, it actually seems like it will, it will make far more rigid the actual lines of what is appropriate for each gender. I'm just curious if you had a, a view on that or if that's something you've been considering. Yes, I, I mean, I totally agree. And that's why it's so ironic that um, these people who push gender ideology consider themselves progressive. I think it's quite the opposite. It's not progressive at all. It's going back to the, the old stereotypes, as you say, um, in which if you are a particular kind of person, then you must be a boy. Um, or you are a particular kind of person, you must be a girl. This is all complete nonsense and there's nothing progressive about it at all. And that is one of the things that makes me so sad that, that somehow those who push this ideology have managed to persuade people that it's progressive when it's completely the opposite of progressive. There's nothing progressive about gender identity theory. And I suppose just, just as a final question when we close, if the, let's say the LGB alliance and it moves forward has great success, and achieves most of its goals. What does a, a Britain where you've been successful look like to you for 
LGB and T individuals? Well, I certainly hope that um, that kids growing up will feel confident in uh, uh, in being able to grow up as they uh, as they are and to express the full range of their characteristics. Um, I, I'd love boys to be able to express their so-called feminine side and, and girls their so-called masculine side without feeling any uh, um, uh, restraint or, or, or worry about this. I'd love to get rid of this whole um, area of stereotypes. And uh, trans people, people who as adults, um, because of their gender dysphoria, uh, need to uh, um, undergo whatever um, interventions are necessary um, in order to live as the opposite sex, uh, um, as a legal fiction. I, I don't think that it, uh, I think it should be understood that nobody can actually ever change sex. Um, but as a legal fiction, if that solves their distress, then those people should be, uh, um, we, we should make rules to make their lives as comfortable and, and pleasant as possible and to make sure that they don't suffer from um, discrimination. And um, that is, is, is a world that, that I would like to see in which we live harmoniously alongside each other. But it's not a world in which a man with a beard and a penis can say that he's a woman and can um, then uh, claim to be a, a, a lesbian and um, uh, invade <laughs> lesbian dating sites. <laughs> I hope that we can get rid of that because, uh, and I hope that we will look back on this as a rather peculiar period of history in which people signed up to a rather strange set of beliefs. Bev Jackson, founder of the LGB Alliance. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much, Gary. It's a pleasure. All the best. Thank you too.